Welcome to Bubbles and Books, a podcast about two of the best things in life, books and champagne. Brought to you by Amanda and Ellen, co-owners of your local independent bookstore, Dr. Books in Exile. First, give me a cheers. Cheers. And books are sexy. Hi, Amanda. Hey, Ellen. How are you? I'm good. Um, what are you drinking today? I'm drinking a protein smoothie with peanut butter, bananas, chia, and oats. If only there was champagne in it. (laughs) If only. Yeah. What are you drinking? I'm drinking an iced coffee (laughs) with brown sugar syrup and cream. I don't think champagne would mix very well with that. I don't think so either. We're being responsible. We're back from a week away learning Everything we can about the industry the we love. tricks of the trade. Tricks of the trade. We turn tricks in this trade. Lots of tricks. So many tricks. Yeah. Um, so we have some catching up to do. <laughs> and we're being really responsible and making sure we get our caffeine so that we can keep this show going. Rachel looks like she has some questions. Rachel, get your head out of the gutter. You know what I was going to say, though? You were going to call us whores. That's I know. Exactly that was the insinuation yeah, we were trying whores. for. We're, we're book, book whores. whores. We read around. (laughs) (laughs) We don't even need champagne for these one-liners. We can be sort of funny without it. Yeah, sort of. (laughs) What are you reading right now, Ellen? Oh, something hilarious. It's about the Vietnam War. No, just kidding. Oh, my God. Um, No, I'm reading Absolution by Alice McDermott, who won the National Book Award in the 90s. She's written a ton of books, but she hasn't written in a while. Anyway... Uh, Absolution is the dog-eared books official book club pick we are reading. We are talking about it. Um, and it takes place in 1963, Saigon. So this is like, the I mean, the Vietnam War is going on, but American involvement is still fairly minimal. Like, we do not have combat troops on the ground. But there there are military personnel there. Like, we're talking, like, engineers, um, you know, like, civilian types of military personnel um and so it's saigon 1963 and um the novel really focuses on the wives of these military personnel people these people have been contracted by the military these men so one of them trisha who's the main character is 23 she's married to an attorney who's working for the military in saigon and she's so enamored by her husband they've only been married for like a few months they're trying to have a baby and she really believes and has been told right that her her whole purpose in life is to be her husband's helpmate like her job is to just make his life so much better and to give him this beautiful family okay and so she she goes to saigon and she meets charlene who is the wife of another military guy like a business guy Mm -hmm. and charlene has Three children. She's a little bit older than Trisha. She's probably like in her 30s. And she is like popping pills, like trading on the black market. But she's like really hot. And she is like kind of a dynamo. Her husband says she runs a cabal. (laughs) But what she does is she like does all this fundraising. She sells all these products and she uses the money to buy like gifts that she gives out to the Vietnamese children and women who she feels are suffering. So she sort of enlists Trisha in her efforts. And I don't 
there's something about this the structure of this book that I don't want to spoil because there there's like a spoiler alert that I, I don't want to I don't want I don't want to spoil the book for anybody. It's beautifully written, so I'm not going to like delve too deeply into the plot here. But um, what I would say it explores is white saviorism. So here are these women who I think are pretty misguided in their efforts to help you know, these poor Vietnamese women and children, which, you know, some of they, some of them are suffering, right? But, like, also, they don't need these white women to come in and, like, you know, like, giving them a teddy bear is not going to change this, their situation. Right. You know what I mean? That's that's not the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, these women are seeking agency that they have no, like, choice in their life. They are so, um, their lives are so conscripted for them. And... So it's sort of women on the margins of war, um, similar to the women by Kristen Hanna. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Do you find that interesting? I do find it interesting. Um, but it's also like before Vietnam, the way we think of Vietnam, you know, when, when our combat troops were there and, and also side of the conflict, this more like civilian side of it, um, Americans over there, you know, living sort of like posh lives, um, the lives of officers and um, engineers and things like that. And uh, what these women were trying to do, I think, to survive, to feel like they had a purpose, like they were doing something good, but how those efforts may have been misguided um, and the long-term consequences of that. So it's a really interesting, complicated book. It sounds outstanding. It is outstanding. What are you reading? Okay. I am reading an advanced reader copy of a book that comes out in June called Moonbound by Robin Sloan. The reason I was super eager to snatch this one up is because this is the author of one of my favorite books of all time, Sourdough. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Which was about um, kind of someone in a quarter life crisis in a kind of administrative job at a manufacturing plant, I believe, named a woman named Lois. And she is just like disassociating from her own life. She's just checking out, doesn't know, she's not happy. And um, every night when she comes home totally wiped, she orders from a takeout. Um, and is sort of embarrassed that she's always ordering takeout from the same place. Um, one night when she orders um, takeout, they say, you know, this is your last delivery. Uh, we're in trouble. We're going to have to go like underground for a while. Um, but one of the things she always got um, in her takeout order was sourdough bread. And sourdough bread. they give her their magical sourdough starter and it changes her life it 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 is sourdough bread has literally changed my life magical i bought some yesterday it's so good okay so tell me about the new book the new book is completely different and the the other thing of is no, there any sourdough bread in it there is thank this god this is so it's so weird okay thank you robin yeah robin kind of there are these slight threads of connection okay, to cool. his previous books i like when authors do that so there's a connection to sourdough and apparently also connections to um, mr penumbra's 24-hour bookstore which was another like 
indie fave. I read it, loved it. Um, but Moonbound is based like 13,000 years into the future. And we're not going to last that long as a species, but go on. I know. It's total, <laughs> and that's kind of kind of where things are is that humans as we know them don't really exist. We created Okay, it's just like this is so outside my reading zone. This is totally sci-fi fantasy, okay? The vibes that I get from this book are like Dune, Lion the Witch and the Wardrobe, um great uh um, the never-ending story. Okay, mm. so these this otherworldly place with quirky characters. Um, but anyway, humans created dragons that they sent out on spaceships into the universe to like explore for us. Obviously. And the dragons, what they saw there, slipped through like this time gap. And they see thousands of years in the future, and they're so pissed off by what they see that when they come back, they, like, attack Earth. As they should. They're pissed off at the humans that have caused all this. And so there's this dragon-human war, mm. and the humans are pretty much obliterated, but as a stopgap, their intelligence decided that they were going to find a way to preserve human-like minds in animals. They would hide the humans in animal form so that the dragons wouldn't be able to kill off everything of human existence. Okay, this so book sounds like taking drugs. And it I'm, is like taking I'm drugs. I'm here for it. Keep going. But I will not call it, okay, I hate when a book is called a fever dream. This is not a fever dream. It is all logically built together. There's, you know, this crazy explanation for how human form or human minds have been stored in animal forms. And then now we live in a time where wizards are able to draw out the humans from their animal forms and they're able to become human again. And there is a young hero, as you need in one of these epic adventures. Yes. It is a young boy who may be it, there's a question about, is he actually a human? Because, you know, supposedly humans haven't existed forever. They've they've been hidden in animal forms. But, so there are no children. There are no, you know, babies born. Mm. But there is this young boy who is growing just as a young boy would. So it's, there's this question of, is he, you know, one of the last humans? And he um, comes up against an evil wizard who wants to use him in a plot against the dragons who still live out on the moon. And so, I mean, this is all, it all sounds crazy. It is a challenge for my brain to keep track I think of the it fantasy cool. world. It is. And it's, it's funny. And there's um, really endearing characters who this young boy meets. His name is Ariel. And um, he finds, um, a kind of robot guy who is connected to many other versions of himself. It's like the they plural, but in physical form, this, this robot that helps him find helpers out in this fantastical world. And he's just met in this part of the book, a human who had been in a spaceship for thousands of years, kind of frozen on ice who he was able to call back to Earth to help him in his mission to potentially defeat the dragons, make peace with the dragons, maybe bring about human life again on Earth. So, you know, 
I'm on a wild journey. I'm into it. I want to try it. I want to go on the journey too. It's great. Yeah, as a killer cover. It has a really cool cover. And the cover is so much fun because, oh, and it, Wizard of Oz. It also reminds me of Wizard of Oz. Okay. Um, The cover reveals quite a bit about plot points that I'm discovering. So you see this like spaceship coming to Earth, a rip in the sky. You see the moon out there. You see a castle. You see this lush landscape and... It's really, um, it is a wild ride. So I'm having fun with it. Um, And uh, it brings us to our topic of conversation today. I picked this up in Cincinnati at Winter Institute. Um, It is our annual conference, industry conference, that brings together independent booksellers from all across the country. And we're a wild bunch. We really are. (laughs) Honestly. It's kind of a party. I can't remember whether pot is legal in Ohio or not, but (laughs) I do have a friend in the industry now who, when I see him at conferences, he always shares his supply with me. He travels. So I had a I had a gummy that I used to get through part of the conference. She, she had it just loose in her pocket. Yeah. And Ellen had to remind me to take it out of my pocket and, when we went to the and airport. And we're like sitting in this like tense session. She pulls it out, takes a bite of it. Yeah. Back in her pocket. Yeah. As we're leaving the hotel, I'm like, you might you probably want to throw that away before we get to the airport. Ellen makes sure she holds this ship together, make sure I don't end up in jail. So anyway, Uh, that's what I'm good for. That's where we were last week. We were in Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, Like I said, it's I've never been to Cincinnati, and neither had I. Um, I found it to be a very lovely city. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I think both of us came away with the impression that it felt very much like Des Moines. Yeah, just it was very Midwest. I would have loved to see it not in February, you know, like when it's green and everything, but like very walkable, like great downtown right it Um, had uh historic buildings intermixed with you know beautiful downtown skyscrapers um i did some research on it um it's actually about 24 years older than des moines it was founded in 1820 it's a river city on the ohio river um, and they have a population of about 300,000 and I just knew I was going to Ohio but what you learn once you get there is literally Cincinnati's right on the Ohio River and just across the river is Kentucky yep so we actually went into Kentucky yeah it was really fun um so this conference is huge there were probably what a thousand booksellers there plus you've got publishers authors mm -hmm. reps you know all kinds of people so thousands of people in the book industry gathered together and it's designed to have uh educational programming on like best practices in the industry as well as a lot of times speaking to authors and publishers about the books they're super excited about that they won't don't want us to miss out on we have opportunities to hear keynote speakers who are really inspirational and then tons of time just talking to people who do what we do which is the most fun you know, like, what are you reading? And what crazy stories do you have from your bookstore this year? What are you doing about book bans? So we talk to people from nearly every state in the country. It's really fun to hear what book selling is like in other states. And it's fun to go to sessions and learn about what, how different bookstores are tackling the different challenges that we all face. 
you always come away with like really good ideas or at least, you know, things to think about. But these are packed days, you know, like you got to be, you got to report for duty at like 7.30 a.m. And yeah. you are like, go, 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 go till like 10 o'clock at night. I came back from it and my back was really sore and I was at physical therapy and I was saying, oh yeah, I'm pretty sore. You know, I was at a conference all week and the PT person was like, well, you know, you got to make time to go to the gym when you're on these conferences. I was like, literally, we There's go literally no time. 7.30 in the morning till like late dinners till 9.30 at There's night. There's no breaks. Right. <laughs> so apparently I was supposed to have been doing band walks in between sessions. That was a big conference center. I think we got some good, we got, we got our steps in for sure. Yeah, we did. Amy tracked her her steps. Um, our one of our managers was with us, and she she was up on her steps. Um, so super exciting time. This is the third time we've been to one of these um, the Winter Institute conference. Last year was Seattle, so much fun. First time we ever went was Maryland. That's when we were prospective bookstore owners. We went trying to figure out is this something we can do. And I just remember walking in there and being like, these are my people. This is the place I've always supposed to have been. They act like me. They dress <laughs> like me. I mean, we're we're an interesting breed. Um. Anyway, so we arrived in Cincinnati. And as we do anywhere we travel, top on our list, even though we had packed schedule, was how do we fit in visiting bookstores? Every opportunity we get, we visit bookstores um, to well, observe. Yeah, go ahead. Best practices, see what they do, see what we can bring back. So we, programming I think started Sunday evening at like six o'clock. We rolled in around one o'clock and we used that time in between to visit bookstores. I had my Google map planned with... Um, a trajectory of bookstores from north to south. Um, and we we hit four bookstores between leaving the plane and starting the programming. First up was the book bus. I have followed the book bus since 2020. Um, they started as a mobile bookstore um, in they utilize a 1962 Volkswagen pickup, um, and it's run by a former teacher. She spent 25 years teaching in inner cities across the country. Her name is Melanie Moore, and she uses this adorable aqua-colored pickup to visit um, neighborhoods throughout Cincinnati and the surrounding areas. And she operates as a nonprofit. Like every everything she brings in in profit, she gives back to the community. She's trying to stock um, low-income schools and support organizations that give books to children so that all children can know the joy of like reading a book that they own in their own home. And they have a st – their staff is volunteer. Oh, I didn't catch that. Yeah, yep. Um, so we – we went to the Book Bus Depot. So they have this really cool building that has a garage door that opens up and they park the bus like inside the bookstore. It was so cute. Yeah, it's really cute. Yeah. And when it's sitting in there, I was surprised, you know, like vintage vehicles often have that like motor oil smell. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But they did not have that. So it's like this garage that they built a bookstore around. 
They had beautiful shelves, great uh, collections of classics. Um, they had a used book section and then some uh, specially curated um, new fiction. Yep. And of course, the bus is just irresistible. And what was really cool is when we were there, they were selling copies of a book that she, the, the owner, just published this month. Um, it's called The Book Bus. And it is a fictional story about a cute little bus that grows up on a farm, as pickup trucks do, yes. who enjoys reading with this young girl. But as she grows and he grow, you know, is kind of left behind in the barn, he misses that joy of storytelling and reading. And um, the little bus grows up to become a book bus. And it's like little blue truck, but a VW pickup that brings stories to kids. It's super cute. So if you want to check it out, it's The Book Bus by Melanie Moore. It was super fun. Um, So we hopped in an Uber. And we headed to another Northside bookstore, Downbound Books. This is a fairly new store opened in 2019, so just before the pandemic. Um, And it's small. It's like 500 square feet, and it's adorable. It was so pretty. It was like what I want my house to look like. Everything in its place, super clean. Um, And in a really cool little shopping district, so lots of cool cafes and shops um, in that area. And just great curation. Lots of locally made things. So they had like um, cool like little prints for sale. Right. And like just from different artists, local artists. Right. I was really happy when I saw in their small children's section that they had Mr. Fiorello's head. It's a picture book of a man who's sad that he's losing his hair, which I think is hilarious. So whenever I see that someone has found like a gem of a book that's kind of under the radar and they also have it, I have such respect for that bookstore. I'm like, oh, we have the same taste. So I really enjoyed that. Um, Next, we drove across the Ohio River into Kentucky to visit Roebling Books in the city of Newport. This bookstore was recommended to us by one of our publishing reps, John Mezjak. We love him. He always comes to visit us about twice a year. We always get barbecue with him. We asked him, where should we go in um, Cincinnati when we're there? And he said, well, actually go over the river um, and see Roebling Books. Um, They were opened in 2010, and they have three locations, which is really cool. And each one of their locations has... Um, not only books, but um, a coffee bar with a food menu. And it's like a full coffee. Thing. Yeah. It's like a big coffee shop. Right. So we got our Kentucky bookstore. We can now say we've been to a Kentucky bookstore. Um, and then we went back um, closer to where all the happenings of the conference were going on. We went to Joseph Beth Booksellers. They're kind of the institution of Cincinnati. Um, they are an independent chain that currently has locations in both Cincinnati and Lexington, Kentucky. They're well-established. They were founded in 1986 by a couple, um, who used their middle names. Um, Joseph, it's Neil Joseph and Mary Beth Van Oom. And they once had seven locations, but you know, pandemic, Amazon, they're down to two, um, and they operated at a scale much closer to like a Barnes and Noble. Like it was like very their footprint is huge. It's huge. Yeah. Um, I was so jealous of like their ability to create subsections in nonfiction. Like when you went to Mind Body Spirit, you could go in and see um, 
a section on relationships and a section on mental health and a section on like many religious practices. Um, they just have the space to create yep. all these sections. They had um, a young adult new release table. I think they had multiple fireplaces. At least I one. I, I saw one. They had a really cute um, children's event space with kind of like oh, yeah, it was stadium seating. Um, they had great a, customer service. Oh yes, that's yeah. right. So even really though like their booksellers, they're big and well established. Like the second we walked in, we were greeted. It was very much the kind of vibe we try to give when we're working with customers in our store. So that was really impressive. And they had a ton of gift items, which was not surprising considering. I bought some pajama pants. I know. From there. They were really (laughs) fancy. You'll have to wear that. We'll have to have another pajama day at at work. Oh, yeah. So people can see those. So that was fun. Um, Then we were thrown into the hullabaloo of the conference. So we did a lot of learning, but like the the thing that we like get a little bit geeky over, Mm -hmm. it's that we get to meet some of our favorite authors, which the conference couldn't have started off better because literally when we were dropping off our bags before going out to go to the stores, like walking in the spinny door of the hotel and who do we see but Emma Straub. One of your faves. I met her in Seattle, but this was like, the best because this time Emma was at Winter Institute as a bookstore owner bookseller. She owns Bookstore Magic in Brooklyn, New York. I always call them the coolest kids on the block. Like they set the standard for so much of what's happening in contemporary book selling. We look to them as a great example. And there she was just like standing right there. And I made a fool of myself. I'm like, oh my God, Emma, I don't know if you remember me. I love you so much. And I was just like, how do I prolong this, but also not embarrass myself? And she was so generous and she's so real and so not a celebrity, even though like she's my celebrity. Yeah, and we ran into her multiple times, and she was lovely every time. We talked to her many times. Like, I think she will remember me now, and we're friends. We're really friends. We're best friends, Emma. I love Emma. Um, She did tell me, so she wasn't here promoting a book. Last time she was promoting a children's book she'd put out. This time she was here, as I said, as a bookstore owner. But she is, like, I forget what she told me, like 100 pages into her next book, and I can't wait. And one of my goals is before I see her next, because I will see her again, I'm going to read her first piece of fiction, which was Laura Lamont's Life in Pictures. But just for those who don't know, she wrote The Vacationers, loved it. Modern Lovers, loved it. All Adults Here, one of my favorites. And most recently, This Time Tomorrow, which is so much fun. It's about a woman who's turning 40 and on the eve of her birthday falls asleep and then wakes up and she's 16. And she delights in her badass body. Like, you know how we (laughs) never appreciated? Like, we had all this, like, self-conscious behavior when we're 16. You know, we don't think we're special. We think we're chubby or whatever. It was like, oh, we had it good. To go back and be in my 16-year-old body, that's why I told my daughter who's turning 16 tomorrow, I'm like, what I wouldn't do to go back and be a sophomore in high school. It's like so much fun. Yes. So another author who was there as a bookstore owner was Lauren Groth. Who has made a big impact on your life recently. Yes. What did you tell her when you saw her? You said, thanks for. Traumatizing me. Yeah. 
I said that to a couple authors. Yeah. <laughs> she was one of them. She was also so sweet. Oh, my gosh. The the stuff she writes is kind of heavy. I mean, and she's, she's next so level, light and beautiful. Like She is. She was so kind. And so lovely sweet. and happy. Unassuming. Like, yeah. she seemed surprised that we, like, because she was not there as, like, a celebrity bookseller. Like, no. We, like, she was walking out of a conference room, and I was like, should I ask her? If, I don't want to interrupt her. I don't want to ask her a picture. And Amanda's like, will you take a picture with my friend? Yeah. <laughs> you can like, count on me for that. She was like, oh, of course. Like, she was so nice and right. um, really sweet and talked bookstore with us and What's exciting and- is she was there because she's opening a bookstore yep. called The Links in Gainesville, Florida. Follow them at The Links Books, I think. Um, and it, she decided to open it as a reaction to the book banning that's happening in Florida. I argue that we're rivals in the state of Iowa for ridiculous book banning. Like we're right there, like twin sisters of ridiculousness. Um, She has a really great list on their bookshop page um, that, you know, here's all the books that are being in Florida. So we have a great band book section in our store, but it's time for us to put up a list. I thought that was a good idea. Yeah, that is a great idea. Um, Next up for you <sighs> was a moment. I saw she was going to be there and I was like, oh my God, I have to. Rachel Kushner, one of my all-time favorite authors. I think she's one of the authors that like not enough people know about. Mm-hmm. She's one of the best people writing today, period. Yeah, ever. she was a Booker Prize finalist and two-time National Book Award finalist. Yes, I'm obsessed with her. And she's a fucking badass. Like, yeah. she's, a, she's a real baddie. Okay. She looked like a badass. Like, she had this, like, kind of, like, 1970s look. She had these really cool glasses yes. on. She's super tall. No, she's short. Really? Yeah, she's short. Oh, okay. But she's baddie. Anyway, I was like, she was going to be at this author reception, so I knew I was going to get a chance to meet her. So I was, like, geared up to meet her. Also, like, we were hanging out with our rep. Shout out, Megan. What's up? And Megan, I was like, Megan, you're going to do me a solid. You're going to make sure I meet RK. And she was like, cool. You're going to meet her at the author reception. So I was I was ready. But then, before the author reception, I was in the coffee shop at the hotel. And this, I, I felt someone touch my elbow and say, are, are you waiting? Oh, she touched you? Yeah. And I oh, turned wow. around, and it was her. And I was like, no. And I was like, total idiot. And then I was like, Rachel. <laughs> And she was like, yes. And I was like, I love you so much. <laughs> and I was like, but I'm not going to bother you right now, but I'm going to see you tonight. She was like, okay. <laughs> and she was awesome, too. She let me take a picture with her. And true story, her great-great-grandma's buried in Ames. And she was like, I've been, I need to go to Ames. I yeah. want to go to Ames. And I'm like, oh, my God, come to Ames. Official invitation. If you come to visit great-great-grandma and don't visit us at Dog Eared Books, we're going to cry. Yeah, she has some love for Iowa. She actually lived in Iowa City a couple of times. So she's like, you know, RK, come on. So worth mentioning, the reason she was there is because she has a book coming up. And it's not even like out on the webs yet. Like there's like a a September release. Right. So it's a ways out there. It's called Creation Lake. Do you know anything about what it's about? I don't. And it's I'm got a killer it cover. Soon. Yeah. It's yeah. going to be amazing. I don't have any doubts about it. She's one of those authors. Like, I don't have to know anything about the book. This is like Barbara Kingsolver for me. Like, just dive in. I just know it's going to be good. I don't like, you don't even tell me anything. So, so it probably goes without saying, you know, we have been reading ahead for our subscription and we have killer books picked all the way through July. But 
having been to this conference, you're about to hear what's on our TBR. Like top of your list would be Rachel Kushner. Yep. Um, but the rest of these authors that we met are like, they're all on my TBR right by my bed. Like this is what I'll be reading for the next couple months. Um, I don't know if I got me a copy of the Rachel, so you'll have to read it and share it because it looks Yeah, really then you cool. have to give it back to me because it's signed. Oh, maybe <laughs> I, ooh, I'm a little nervous. Okay. <laughs> I'll request my own art because I need you to preserve that. Okay. So someone you got to have dinner with that I'm kind of jealous about, but did get I did get to meet him and he's hilarious yes. and joyful. Like totally not what you'd expect based on his previous writing. Yes. It's Stuart Turton, the author of Doggyard Books, best-selling title of all time, The Seven and a Half Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle, which was like this really smart, kind of dark literary mystery. Yeah. So it's, if you've read this book, you know, it's got so many layers to it and it's like genius. And it is kind of dark and so i in my mind i thought Stuart turton is like this serious and he's it's british you know so i was like he's like this british genius like serious somber dude and he is not he is not that way at all he's just delightful and funny and very self-deprecating and charismatic and dorky yeah and charismatic and just really kind and uh, i had a great dinner with him um thought he was lovely so easy to talk to um very attentive to all the booksellers at the table, just as curious about us as we were about him. Um, and yeah, just really enjoyed meeting him. So his next book is called The Last Murder at the End of the World. And it's really cool. It's like all of humanity exists on this island of yeah. like 120 something people and some scientists. And they exist in like idyllic conditions, all trusting each other, working for one another. But then someone, one of the scientists is murdered. And it just throws everything into chaos. So that will be out May 21st. If you loved Seven and a Half Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle, be sure to pre-order The Last Murder at the End of the World. Um, because our indie edition, exclusive to indie bookstores, will have sprayed edges. They're teal sprayed edges. This is the new you know, feature in book publishing right now is sprayed edges of books. So when we went to the author reception in which we entered a banquet room that had, I don't know how many, 40 authors around the perimeter of the room, each with a stack of their books. We had there were like 80 authors. We had to make a choice as to who you would beeline for first because you knew that certain authors would end up with like a super long line and you had to be strategic. And you went to Rachel. I correct? went to Rachel. And then I saw Kelly and Bradley to get a signed copy of Ministry of Time yes. for Mariah, who loves that. I saw Lori Halls Anderson, who joined the lawsuit in Iowa against me in books. I used Bravo. to teach her book, loved her. She saw I was from Iowa. She grabbed both my hands and we had a moment. Um, and then I saw Paul Lynch and I thanked him for traumatizing me with Prophet Song. He was a character. <laughs> yeah. He said, you're welcome. <laughs> so I was right near Paul Lynch because I beelined for Ruman Alam, who's the author of Leave the World Behind, Ugh, which was yeah. just made into an excellent movie directed slash produced by the Obamas. Like produced. Yeah. Yeah. Produced by their production company. He has a new book coming out, which I didn't know. It comes out September 17th. It's called Entitlement, and it sounds amazing. He's so good at social commentary and this, like, really sharp, like, 
observation of human behavior. Um, his new book will be about a young woman who has a want for many things, a sense of purpose, um, for material goods, like she just wants a bigger, better life. And she's working for, uh, as an assistant to an octogenarian billionaire in his quest to give away his vast fortune. And she sees this as an opportunity to get some of what she wants. Um, I think it's going to be killer. Um, so that is close to the top of my TBR. I can't wait to get to it. Do you have the arc? I do have the ARC. I got it, and it was signed. Okay, um, I need that one, too. I know. We'll share. Um, he was really cool, though. Like, he was cool. He had these really cool glasses. I think they were, like, blue glasses um, that were so cool. And then right next to him was Eric Larson. Did you get a chance to see him? or No, I wanted to. I Like, there's huge lines, you know? You just have to... You just can't yeah. Get them all. So his was super long. He writes historical nonfiction. Some of the best-selling titles have been "Devil in the White City," "Dead Weight," "Splendid in the Vile." He's just like beloved, great dad book guy. Yeah, I've read most of his books. I really enjoy his right. books. He writes narrative nonfiction. He draws you into the story. So his new book comes out April thirtieth, very soon. We will have signed copies. So pre-order with us um, if you'd like to get a signed copy for yourself or someone else in your life. It's called "The Demon of." unrest. And it deals with the time period just before the Civil War started. And according to the publishing reps that we spoke to, it's drawing parallels between the political climate now and the political climate just before the Civil War. And I think drawing scary conclusions that we may be on the brink of Civil War. Uh, Scary. So wake us up, Eric Larson. Prevent it. It's all on you, buddy. I made sure to see Lydia Millet or Millet. I should have asked her, but that would have been embarrassing. Um, she's the author of one of our favorite books, The Children's Bible, and more recently she wrote Dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. Um, she has a piece of nonfiction. It's like um, like related to her role as a mother and related to her work in wildlife and climate advocacy is going to be called we loved it all and it comes out april 2nd so i'm that's in my pile can't wait to try it um did you meet Simon montgomery no i didn't get to okay Simon montgomery was hidden in a corner and by the time i got to Cy, Cy had no books left so Sai is known for the soul of an octopus, which is part of this like beloved octopus era in which remarkably bright creatures came out. My brilliant teacher, whatever. Yep. Um, the documentary about the guy who went diving and made friends with this octopus. Um, she also wrote how to be a good creature. Her new book is more about octopus life. It's called Secrets of the Octopus. It comes out March 19th and it has a lot of photographs, but it's like all about their really unique, interesting behaviors. She was adorable and charismatic and lovely and smiley and happy. I mean, it's no wonder she's friends with octopus. So, yeah. And then last but not least, our new BFF, one of our BFFs, Claire Lombardo. Right. So I had the privilege of getting my hands on an advanced reader copy before going to Winter Institute. I've talked about it on the podcast. It's called Same As It Ever Was coming out June 18th. We will likely have her in for an event. 
Um, but we will also have signed copies, I'm sure. Um, she's the author of The Most Fun We Ever Had, one of my favorite books of all time. Um, this new book is outstanding. Um, I can't recommend it enough. So, And apparently Claire and I are doppelgangers. Yes. Um, someone came up to Ellen and said, Claire, are you Claire? <laughs> that night, I mean, they both have this really beautiful, dark, lush hair. Um, you were, we were wearing a similar outfit. Yeah. Like a reddish orange jacket with black underneath. Mm -hmm. And so I was not surprised. Like you guys could be, you could fill in, you can impersonate. I could be a Claire Lombardo impersonator. impersonator. Yeah. <laughs> Career change, pivot. Yeah. You know, when she gets tired, you know, of making appearances when, all right, Claire, hit me up. Right. So those were some of the highlights. It was it, a fun time. Always fun. It fills me up. I love talking to all these booksellers and just talking shop and meeting these icons and idols of the, the field is just so, such a privilege. Yeah. I can't wait till next time. It's going to be in Denver, Colorado in you 2025. You can have all the weed you want, Amanda. Yeah. It will be... <laughs> A pot filled. It's going to be dope. Literally. Literally. <laughs> You're so funny. All right. We have a couple exciting books coming out. Both this of these week. we've talked about on the right. podcast. But let's just remind you because you need to pick them up immediately. These are the most popping books this week. E fucking immediately. So tell me about this first one, Ellen. It's one of your favorite authors. We both love this book. It was amazing. Yeah. Wandering Stars by Tommy Orange. And Tommy Orange, so this is his second book. His first one was There There. I think he's a he's a writer who is, I mean, he's writing fantastic work, but I think he's setting himself up to be and will be someone who's considered one of the great American writers. Agreed. So I think he's one, he's, you should be reading his stuff now, but he's one to watch like in the long term. Right. So Wandering Stars follows the trajectory of one family over the course of like 150 years. It starts um, with the Sand Creek Massacre in the mid-1800s, and um, <clears throat> Jude survives. Um, so it's an indigenous family. Tommy Orange is um, an indigenous writer. And um, it follows a generation. So the story is told, the first half of it really is sort of an, also a novel in stories. And each story is like what each subsequent generation. And what's interesting is telling the story in this way allows you, the reader, to see, like, what things were lost between generations. Because imagine this is a family, an indigenous family, in a time in our country where it still goes on, where you know, indigenous people have been completely, you know, had we their culture has been robbed from them over and over again, right? And so it demonstrates what is has been lost in those generations, what has been tried to be stripped from that family. And then eventually it settles into pre the present day generation of the family and sort of what have been the long-term consequences of that generational trauma, mm -hmm. but also like what has remained, like yeah. what, what are, what's the joy, what's the richness that has remained. Um, and it's just such marvelous storytelling. And you're left. I, f I just felt like, the way he built the story, I was so curious about what would be revealed next. Which story would yeah. I discover next? Um, so that was really cool. Um, 
the book that I want to tell you about that's popping this week was actually a Winter Institute featured author. Yes. It was Scott Alexander Howard. This was someone who was on the Indies Introduced list. These are um, debut authors that have been selected by a panel of independent booksellers as kind of like the authors to watch this year. And so um, the book that Scott Alexander Howard is putting out this week is called The Other Valley. It is so cool. It reminded me a lot of The Giver, but obviously this is adult fiction. Um, It takes place in this small town that exists in the middle of a valley bordered on each side by mountains. And what's really unusual is that these people know that just beyond the border to the east is 20 years in the future. The same inhabitants, the same valley, just 20 years in the future over the border of the mountains to the west is 20 years in the past. And so travel between the versions of the valley is restricted by a government body because if you inter, you know, interfere with the past or the future, who knows what it, consequences will come about for your present. But there is one young girl, Odile, who discovers that she she discovers someone who's visiting from the future and wonders what it means for the people in her life. And she's also someone who wants to become, a, you know, part of the prestigious government body that regulates this travel. Um, and over the course of the novel, she ends up traveling to the future and sees what her life is and decides to interfere in her present. Mm-hmm. It's really amazing. It makes you think a lot about um, what's faded and what can be determined by choice and determination. It's really beautiful. I thought it was really well done. One interesting thing is when he was speaking at Winter Institute, and I didn't realize this about him, so he, you know, he's made this pivot right to author, but his background is in philosophy. I know. Um, And he sort of described himself as a misfit philosopher, (laughs) like uh, in academic, you know, philosophy circles where, you know, that's what you do if you're a philosopher, you're a professor. His his philosophy, his views weren't really welcomed. And so um, he's exploring sort of his philosophical views in this novel, which is interesting. It is very philosophical. It makes you think a lot about the meaning of life. So anyway. That's what's popping. That's what's popping. And with that, keep keep the the champagne champagne flowing and the books going. Remember to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. And for more dog-eared books hijinks, follow us on Instagram at dog-eared books Ames or on TikTok at dog-eared books.